baseball fans. It's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. The Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. Listen to this crowd. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. Hello again and welcome to another episode of From the Diamond. I'm Grant McCauley. Another week has passed and this one a little less baseball. Thanks to the All-Star break. Did have a little bit of Braves related entertainment happening over the break. But of course, this is a great time to sit back and kind of reflect and maybe take an inventory of what's happened thus far. What could be happening over the next three or four weeks. And of course, what's going to be happening over the next two and a half months of the baseball season. As playoff hopeful teams size up what their chances are, what buying they need to do. How exactly can you chart a course to October? The Braves are one of the clubs in the National League looking to do that and one in a pretty good spot as we reach the All-Star break as well. We'll talk a lot about what's going on with the Braves at the midway point, the All-Star game, other updates and things you might want to know as we get set for the second half of baseball, which kicks off on Friday night with a three-game series against the San Diego Padres. We'll get to all of that in a moment, but as always, I'd like to invite you to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Ratings and reviews always appreciated. You've dropped some great ones of those, and they go a long way towards building the show in the podcast community. And I hope you're following along on social media. You can find the show on Twitter at FromTheDiamond underscore. I am at Grant McCauley on Twitter as well. That's G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. And on Instagram, you can find the show at FromTheDiamond. There is no underscore on that one, just at FromTheDiamond. And I'm still at Grant McCauley on Instagram as well. Had a card giveaway over the All-Star break, so congratulations to Josh, the winner of the three Braves All-Star baseball cards. Those are in the mail, and you should stay tuned because there'll be a few more giveaways before this season is over. A lot of good stuff in store for the second half. And, of course, if you're a big fan of the podcast and anything else we're doing over here, invite you to come on over to FromTheDiamond.com. That's where you can find everything, every episode of the show, all the articles and the good content that we'll be cranking out throughout the baseball season. With all of that out of the way, let's talk about the week that was in Atlanta Braves news. Since last we spoke, the Braves took a series from the Miami Marlins to close out the first half and roll into the All-Star break. Atlanta sits atop the NL East by a six-game margin, 54-37. and That's the second-best record in the National League. The Braves' 54 wins, seventh most in franchise history before the break. So whenever you crack a top 10, that's always good to see. And it's the club's best record since the All-Star break of 2013, when Atlanta was 54-41. and 41. Atlanta belted 143 home runs. We've talked a lot about the power potential of this team, and they showed it off in the first half. Those 143 bombs, most in franchise history, entering the All-Star break. 491 runs crossed the plate for the Braves as well, second most in franchise history at the All-Star checkpoint. As you know, I like to crunch some numbers, so I did that on Twitter on Friday morning. As we hit the All-Star break, If you look at the 162-game pace for the Braves lineup, there are some pretty encouraging things. Ronald Acuna Jr. at the top of the order, hitting 292 at the break, on basing a 377 clip and slugging just over 500. He's on pace for 37 home runs. Freddie Freeman, 309 average, 394 on base, 584 slugging, on pace for 41 home runs. 
Josh Donaldson, 250, 361, 494 slash line, on pace for 32 bombs. Ozzie Albies hitting 290 at the break, a 351 on base, 486, a slugging percentage, 25 bomb pace for him. Dansby Swanson, who I think is the biggest surprise on this list. We all were waiting for Dansby to turn it on offensively. Well, he's done that and then some in 2019. Dansby slashing 270, 330, 493 at the break, on pace for 30 home runs. If you look out in left field, the Braves have Austin Riley roaming out there, and we've enjoyed the first, what, 45 or 50 games that he's been up at the big league level, hitting 257 at the break with a 312 on base, a 561 slugging, and on pace for 28 home runs. Nick Markakis over in right field, 286, 358, 441. That's a solid slash line. 14 home run pace for him. Same for Brian McCann on pace for 14 homers, slashing 264, 339, 447 at the break. So I know I just threw a lot of numbers out there at you, but more or less this is to illustrate exactly how good and how deep the Braves lineup is top to bottom, one through eight. When you look at Acuna, Swanson, Freeman, Donaldson, Marcakis, Riley, Albies, and McCann, that's the Braves' A lineup right there. We're going to see a lot of that in the second half if health works out for all these guys. But you could match the Braves' starting lineup up against just about any team in baseball. I think they've got a pretty good chance to put five or six, if not more, runs on the board on a given night. The question marks for this club really appear on the pitching side of things where we're seeing the bullpen stabilize, but you know the trade deadline's right around the corner. You know Alex Antopoulos is out there trying to figure out the deals that could help his club there. And, of course, even with Dallas Keuchel on board in the starting rotation, there's still, I think, a need to find stability there and to find a guy that may have more October experience and or simply a little bit more of a track record to help you get to October and perform once you get there. Signing Dallas Keuchel is huge in that regard because it does bring over that experience factor. But when you start to really spread all the pieces out across the table and look at what you have in place, you bring in Dallas Keuchel, so that's a nice get. Already in place, you have Mike Soroka, who's pitched his way to his first All-Star game this year. You have Max Fried, who we've seen a lot of good from, but some adjustments to get him through the second half seem to be part of what he's looking to find right now for consistency's sake. Then you look at Julio Tehran. You've seen kind of the Jekyll and Hyde from him even this season, but there's been more good than bad, I think, to hold down one of the five spots in the rotation. After that, that's when things get really murky. You have the saga of Mike Voltanevich. An elbow injury kept him on the sideline for spring training. It delayed his arrival in the big leagues. Once he rejoined Atlanta, instead of pitching like the All-Star he was a year ago, Voltanevich has had some struggles, and now he's back down in AAA trying to figure things out. Kevin Gosman was not the same pitcher we saw a year ago in his 10 starts after coming over from the Orioles. He's had a couple of good ones and quite a few rough ones, and now his presence in the rotation is a question mark as well. If you flash back to Atlanta's opening day rotation, Kyle Wright and Bryce Wilson have both spent a large chunk of this year in AAA. We've seen Wilson lately. What will we see going forward? Well, we'll find out. Then, of course, Sean Newcomb has moved from the rotation into the bullpen where he has been very good. You factor in Tuki Toussaint, who's kind of in the same boat as Sean Newcomb, and even though you've got starting pitching depth, I don't necessarily think you have the answers to all of the questions that you have at this moment as a contender in the National League East and, of course, looking into October, trying to knock off a team like the Dodgers. That's going to be no easy task. So finding ways to supplement the rotation, the bullpen, and strengthen this club, those are the things Alex Antopoulos will be looking to do. We'll talk a little bit more coming up about some of the possible trade candidates, some of the rumors already swirling around out there as we approach the July 31st trade deadline. But before we get into all that fun, I think we need to turn back the clock a few days to closing out the first half. The Braves had what I think was one of the highlights of their season, one of the hallmark moments, if you want to call it that, 
It's just going to be one of those games I think you'll go back to and you'll call it the Charlie Culberson game. And why would you call it the Charlie Culberson game? He didn't hit a walk-off home run. He didn't even get an official at bat. But what Charlie Culberson did as a defensive replacement against the Marlins on Sunday helped the Braves win a game and a series and close out their first half on a high note. Somehow, Culberson lived up to the Charlie Clutch moniker, and he did it without even swinging the bat. Checking in as a defensive replacement for Austin Riley in left field, Culberson came up huge in the ninth inning. He made a sensational running catch and threw out a runner at the plate to preserve a 4-3 win and really pull Luke Jackson out of the fire. It was a really odd, unlucky inning. An infield hit, a ball off the mound, a popped-up bunt. All of a sudden, the Marlins have the bases loaded and nobody out in a one-run game. And no matter who you've got on the mound, bases loaded, nobody out is typically not a situation that you feel good about escaping with no damage. Well, the Braves were able to do that. Culberson made an outstanding running catch and then gunned out Jorge Alfaro at the plate. That completed a double play, a pop-out later. The Braves were out of it. Luke Jackson saved it. But really... I think you could give Charlie Culberson a save in that game. Here are his thoughts on coming up huge with the glove and the arm in the ninth inning. Well, I knew with no outs, bases loaded, they were going to try for it at home. Alfaro is a good runner, too. Um, but it, honestly, it was kind of a blur for me. I saw the ball up, ran fast, caught it and threw it, and the next thing I knew was um, B-Mac was tagging him at home, so I was pretty jacked there. I kind of felt everyone's reaction <laughs> after the called out, and I saw the guys, so no, it was a fun play. I got chill bumps, and, um, man, it was fun to – hear the crowd get into it and everyone behind us there and I was just lucky to be a part of that play. So there you hear it from the man himself but his teammates were also giving Charlie Culberson rave reviews and there's a reason why they call him Charlie Clutch. There might be several reasons why that is. First baseman Freddie Friedman was asked to rank that among Culberson's greatest moments. I think that's up there uh, especially having the lead and you don't want to lose it right there and that was huge. Uh, to be honest I didn't know if we were going to get out of that one you know with bases loaded no outs. Uh, I think a lot of us would have settled for a, a tight ball game right there and you know once you saw Charlie running in you, you knew he had a chance you just didn't know he was I mean he threw that off to the side and everything and I bet you that was up top three for him and for us personally to witness the last couple of years. When you look back at the 2019 season, you'll have a lot of moments, and a lot of them may be with the bat, but for Charlie Culberson, that moment with the glove and with the arm really typified what this club's all about when it comes to resiliency and pulling out tough ball games and fighting all the way to the last out. It just happened to be done on the other side of the ball. After Sunday's win to close out the first half, manager Brian Snitker discussed Charlie Culberson's big play and just what he brings to this Braves ball club. Well, man, I mean, just the catch, the throw on the run like that to get that much on it on time, and that that was, I told him, that's almost better than one of his walk-offs. I think he probably felt just as good or better as one of his walk-offs. I mean, things he's done, the role that he provides us and how he goes about it and what he does and, you know, is typified today. I mean, it's just anything you need from Charlie. I mean, I he was a hit away from catching earlier in the year, and, and he's pitched, and he's made plays, and he's got big hits, and he's a huge asset for our club. He knows his role, and he prepares, and he's got a great attitude every day. He comes as positive and full of energy as anybody I've ever seen. And it's not an easy role to know that you're the guy that could be asked to get behind the plate and put on catcher's gear for the first time this season or the guy that has to jump up on the mound and maybe get your club out of a rough day and save the bullpen because things aren't going your way or, more to the point, you have to check in defensively in the ninth inning and make a huge play or your number's called to come up and pinch hit. You come up in the sixth or seventh inning against a guy that comes out of the bullpen throwing 98 miles an hour 
Nothing really seems to phase Charlie Culberson. He's had his fair share of big moments, whether he's coming in in reserve, getting a spot start, or just finding himself in the right place at the right time for this Braves team. But again, this is not an easy job, but it's a valuable job. And Charlie Culberson discussed performing a role that many have tried and few have mastered. I got good teammates around me, good coaches, uh, good people, just kind of learning from everybody. It's taken me a long time to kind of figure out how to play in this role and how to prepare. And now I just feel like I'm pretty lucky to be in this role. Um, I enjoy it. I enjoy coming to the ballpark. And, you know, we have a lot of good guys that I can pick their brains. And um, it's fun coming to the field and uh, preparing. And, I, yeah, I really enjoy it. With more than a handful of big hits and walk-off home runs under his belt, Culberson was given a nickname last year that seems to have stuck. We've already mentioned it. I'm sure you're familiar with it, but Charlie Clutch. That's what they're calling him these days. And for Culberson, that's all right with him. I like it. I just hope people don't uh, hold me to it every single day. <laughs> no, that's something I wouldn't give to myself, but it's fine with me. You know, it's, uh, it works, and I just try to do my part. And luckily, you know, good things happen sometimes. As the Braves get set to open up the second half of play with a three-game series against the San Diego Padres on Friday night, he'll be using the same starter to begin the second half who closed out the first half, and that would be new acquisition Dallas Keuchel, who now has a handful of starts under his belt. His last one against the Marlins, easily his best. Keuchel was working shutout ball into the eighth inning before he ran into a little bit of trouble. Chad Sabatka gave up a three-run homer. Luke Jackson came on, had some bad luck, but closed out a crazy save thanks in large part to Charlie Culberson. But if you're looking for big highlights from that 4-3 win that didn't happen out in left field, I would say the work of Dallas Keuchel on the mound has to have you feeling pretty good about where the Braves' rotation could be heading in the second half. Keuchel was brought in to stabilize this group, and he showed what he's capable of against the Marlins on Sunday. A season-high seven and a third innings for a pitcher who really prides himself on pitching deep into the ballgame. Here's Dallas Keuchel's thoughts on his most recent outing as he gets ready to start against the Padres on Friday night. I felt like I had everything pretty much in the mix from the get-go. I didn't really use the changeup or the slider early, but I was afforded the luxury to kind of hold him back for the command of the two and the cut. So I was just hoping for some early contact and trying to fill up the zone as much as possible. I told Snit I was good to go for the eighth, so you know until that rain started coming along, uh, I felt as strong as I had been. I feel like I'm in midseason form already, so it just took a few starts to kind of build up. I mean, major league starts aren't easy to, to control outside of actually being in major league games. So I knew it was going to take a few to get adjusted to, and, and it took some patience, but I think I'm there, and hopefully we can work towards maybe seven plus the, the next 15 or 16 starts. That'd be nice. If you haven't already figured it out, Dallas Keuchel's a guy that likes to take the ball every fifth day, and he doesn't like to give it up after five or six innings either. He wants to be thrown deep into the game. He has a track record of doing that, and it's a trait that should help the Braves' rotation out immensely, as youngsters Mike Soroka and Max Fried are both primed to throw career highs in innings this year. It'll be good to have somebody like Dallas Keuchel who not only eats those innings, but gives you quality frames on top of that. And now with back-to-back seven-inning outings under his belt, Dallas Keuchel feels like he's ready to attack the second half. I felt good against the Phillies, so it was just a matter of timing and pitchability, and I felt like all four pitches were, were on against the Phillies a few at a time, but not all together. So I, I knew coming into the start, maybe I had a chance to really corral it together. And, and uh, sure enough, it was. But I wasn't going to panic at all or, or anything. I mean, this is my fourth start. So just continue to push on. And I don't think this team got me for July. I think it was for October. And, and uh, that's what we're pushing towards. Well, Keichel is no stranger to October, having been there several times with the Houston Astros, including their World Series win in 2017. Of course, the Braves made it to October last year and would like to make it an annual occurrence. And now they're halfway through the season. 
There have been some ups, there have been some downs, but it's much more good than bad. Manager Brian Snitker said the Braves are feeling pretty good about where they're at and what they've accomplished. It was, I say it was a tough half. I mean, we put a lot into that half, and the guys worked their tails off. You know, it took a while to get going, but I think everybody kind of sees what we're about and who we are, and, and um, guys believe in themselves. The Braves hit the All-Star break at 54-37. and 37. That's tops in the National League East by six games, and they have the second-best record in the National League as well, trailing only the Los Angeles Dodgers. While they're not totally looking ahead to October, Freddie Freeman said they feel pretty good about what they've accomplished in the first half. I don't know if you can ask for a better position than we are in going into the All-Star break. Um, I'm not sure the lead. I think it might be six or six and a half, something like that, but that's not the point. The way we grinded through the last couple months, what we put together, and we never let off the gas. We just kept going, and it's a really good ball club we got in this clubhouse, and it's going to be an exciting last 70 games. There you hear from Braves first baseman Freddie Freeman as Atlanta closes out the first half in first place in the National League East. But this club is now going to turn its attention to the second half. But before that could happen, Freddie Freeman was part of a contingent of players heading up to Cleveland along with Ronald Acuna Jr. and Mike Soroka. It was those three gentlemen and manager Brian Snitker all representing the Braves in the Midsummer Classic up in Cleveland for the All-Star Game. Also on hand in Cleveland for all those all-star festivities was my good friend Kelsey Winger to Fox Sports South, who joins me right now on From the Diamond. Make sure you're following her work on Twitter, at Kelsey Winger. That's K-E-L-S-W-I-N-G-E-R-T. Kelsey is a reporter and host for Fox Sports South for Braves Live and during your Braves broadcast, bringing you all those reports before, during, and after the game as well. And if you have not had a chance to check out all the cool all-star content they did over the break, then I invite you once again to jump on the wonders of social media, head on over to Twitter, and follow at Fox Sports Braves to see all of the great features they did from the all-star festivities this past week. Kelsey, first and foremost, thanks for your time. I really appreciate it. And how was your all-star break? And I'm using the air quotes. (laughs) It was a lot of fun. It was one of those things that was super cool to be able to experience firsthand and even more so with it being Acuna and Soroka up there. And then more importantly for me was, was having Brian Snicker there and being able to talk to him so much. And and you could just really see how emotional it was for him and how much it meant to him. And I respect him so much that every time I get to be a part of anything like that alongside him with these things that he gets to go through, you know, those are kind of the things that, you really cherish hold on to for a while that's really cool that you bring that up because that's one of the things i wanted to ask you about right off the top is we look back both of us know brian snitker spent four decades with the braves organization over four decades i haven't spent over four decades on earth just yet but i know this had to be cool for him manager of the year last year kind of a, a guy that came out of nowhere really to become a major league manager and what many people would consider to be the twilight of his career but, Kelsey, for him to get to take three of his kids up to the All-Star game this year, that had to be pretty special for him. Yeah, and what I talked to him about one of the days was how cool it was to see that it was him who, like you said, has been with the Braves for, I think it's 42 years now. Mm-hmm. And then Freddie, who has been the backbone of the team, you know, for however many years, probably almost a decade now. And then so you had, you know, the guys who have been the backbone of the team and then you had the guys who are going to be the future of this team and Acuna right. and Soroka. So it was just a really cool mix of guys. But, you know, what I love about Brian Snicker is in one of the interviews I did with him, I brought up to him, I said, have you realized how great of a manager you are yet? Like, have you really sat back and been like, I was named NL Manager of the Year last year. I've led this team to six games up in the NL East in a division that they were not even chosen to not only not win the division, but not even make the playoffs in the wild card. 
and here we are at the half, six games up, and you were one of the only coaches who wasn't in the World Series last year invited to be at this All-Star game. Have you really understood the success that you have had yet? Have you realized how good you are? And he just defers it back to the team. He just, Mm -hmm. he cannot talk about himself. And he is just so humble and has so much humility. And I mean, I could go on for 30 minutes about how great he is, but yeah, it was, it was just really cool to watch him relish all of those moments. And when they, I know my coworker, Paul Bird, loved the moment when they announced him on the field, when they were announcing the lineups and, and the rosters and, Snit was the first guy that they announced, and you could see him almost getting emotional just yeah. hearing his name over the intercom. And, you know, just being able to witness all of that was really cool. No, it absolutely was. And it's just a great honor for Brian Snitker. And, of course, sharing that with those three players, something that he's going to look back on that experience, I'm sure, and cherish as well. Uh, let's look at Ronald Acuna Jr., as most people do when you think about the Atlanta Braves. He kind of took the baseball world by storm last year. You and I have had a front row seat to watch this young man really establish himself as one of the great young players in the game. Did you see him kind of fitting in right among the stars from both leagues in the All-Star game? Oh, yeah. I mean, you, it was hilarious because, you know, the guys all have their phones throughout all of this um, during the games. It's, it's so laid back. And he was going live on Instagram in the dugout after he got pulled from the game. Nice. He was just making friends with everyone in the dugout. You know, like everybody from all these different squads was he was talking to on his Instagram live, and it was really cute because when he was doing it, Soroka was pitching. So when Soroka came off the mound, you could see him, like, giving him a high five and congratulating him. But, yeah, I mean, you know, even talking to Mike Trout about him, and he was telling me how much he loves the way Acuna plays the game, and I saw another interview with Mike Trout where they asked him who he was most excited to see and to play with and he said Acuna out of all of those all-stars who were at that game you know that's who Trout said he enjoys watching and was excited to see play which is the biggest compliment you can get in baseball because Mike Trout is the best baseball player in the world but um yeah I mean he got along with everybody and and the home run derby man after Vlad Jr. hit 29 in that first round I got nervous because I knew Acuna would put pressure on himself (laughs) to try to outdo him and I was like, oh, my gosh, I hate that Vlad Jr. just did that because Acuna's going to put all this pressure on himself. And then he showed out in that first round with 25 bombs. So it, that was really cool to watch. Both of those guys shine in the derby. Yeah, super impressive to see the young guys. And what a heck of an accolade to get from a Mike Trout to say, hey, I'm here to see Ronald Acuna Jr. That is very cool. Uh, Freddie Freeman has done this thing a time or two, and we got to see him step into our world in a way as he was a special correspondent for the All-Star Game in the batter's box against Justin Verlander. Now, you and I, thankfully, will never have to do something like that. But can you grade Freddie's special reporter chops? How do you think he did in his first real soiree in the media world? I, I gave him a hard time about it. I said he needs to chill out, stay in his lane. He's trying to take over go. Paul Bird and my job. Good for you. Um, but, I mean, that, that stuff went viral. I mean, all of that, people loved having him. Mic'd up. I know I had a lot of Braves fans tweeting at me asking if we could do that more in games, and I was like, yeah, that's not really how it works. <laughs> um, but, you know, Freddie, Freddie is, he was the best person you could have to do that because every single person in this league, every single guy respects Freddie Freeman and what he's able to do year in and year out. So just to be able to hear, and not many guys could have had that kind of interaction with Justin Verlander, you know, I mean, so it was cool to just see it being with Justin Verlander and yeah I mean Fred it was really fun and watching how much it blew up on social media how much people loved it I was happy people could see Freddie's personality a little bit more because he is really funny 
but he's he's more quiet. He always tells me I will never be a headline. I will, you know, he's never going to say anything that's going to be a headline. He's, he doesn't, he stays out of controversy, all of that. So I was happy that people could really see his personality shine a little bit more in that. That's a pretty amazing and kind of understated part of the all-star game is it in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's a game and it's an exhibition and it's a collection of stars, but it's a really great marketing opportunity for all of baseball and for the Braves to have somebody like a Freddie Freeman or Ronald Acuna in the home run derby and what have you have that opportunity to put some of your best players out there with the best players in baseball and be featured like that a couple of years after trying to figure out who exactly are your all-stars. I mean, the Braves have come mm-hmm. a long way in a couple of years. Yeah, and that was cool to see. Not many teams sent multiple guys. Not many teams sent three or four. The yeah. fact that the Braves were one of those teams who were so well represented, it's been cool to see because you and I have seen it firsthand. We've seen the chemistry in this clubhouse. We've seen the talent in this clubhouse and just, you know, they're getting picked up by more national games and all of that, but to see Major League Baseball and baseball fans really start to understand, all right, you know, this isn't a fluke. This team is really good. This team is here to stay, and, and they're going to be contenders year in and year out. And I think the All-Star game kind of, you know, more just justified mm-hmm. that. So I think it was cool to really see them put on that stage. And, and the fact that Acuna was also in the home run derby gave the Braves a little bit more publicity. But, I mean, I just really think they caught people's attention by having that many guys there and involved in both events. No doubt about it. One other guy, the all-star, I want to say, if not necessarily the best for last, but a guy who is certainly a great story, and that's Mike Soroka. Quiet, unassuming kid, knows exactly what to do on the mound, which is exactly how you get to the all-star game. How do you fit in with that staff when you're talking about being in there, sharing a locker room with the Kershaws and Scherzers of the world? That had to be a pretty big moment for a guy like Mike Soroka. Well, he said he was most excited to get to know Max Scherzer. That's the guy who he really had his sights set on to really pick his brain a little bit, and he was able to do that, and I think that was really cool. But what stood out to me the most about covering Mike Soroka there is, you know, we went around, so they had availability for the AL and the NL players. So each player, they had a chair and a little table, and you could go up and scrum, get sound from them at each of their individual tables. And we went up to Scherzer, to DeGrom, to Kershaw, to all of those guys and asked them about facing Freddie Freeman and also asked them about Mike Soroka. And when I asked, I believe it was Jacob DeGrom, when I asked DeGrom about Soroka, he knew so – it was like he's been studying Soroka. He knew so much about what Soroka is able to do and went so in-depth about what has impressed him about uh, Soroka being so young and doing what he's doing and being at the All-Star game. And it was really cool to hear who I believe is the best pitcher in all of baseball um, know that much about Mike Soroka, who has not, even though he is in the same division. You know, he was hurt half of last season, and we're only half a season in, so he doesn't have a big sample size to choose from. And the fact that he knew that much about him, I mean, really stood out to me because those guys aren't going to pay attention to you know, the guys who were kind of up and down. I mean, and he he just knew a lot about Mike, which was really cool. But, you know, seeing Soroka out there with his dad, him and his dad are very close. Mm-hmm. And just being able to see them on the red carpet and, and see his dad be able to take all of that in. I know Soroka had told me that his dad, like a month ago, told him that he was going to book a flight to Cleveland. And Soroka said, no, you know, like, I'm, I don't know if I'm going to go to the game. And his dad was so adamant that Soroka was going to make it. That's awesome. Um, and just being able to see them go through that together was really – they've had a lot of really cool moments this season, and that was definitely one of the top ones they'll have. Well, the Braves over the first 91 games of the season have had some very cool moments. We've seen a lot of them. Of course, you and I firsthand covering this team on a regular basis. But as you and I both know, 
There's an awful lot of baseball left to be played. We've got 70 games after tonight as the Braves begin the second half against the Padres with a three-game series out in San Diego. Kelsey, you're already out on the left coast. What are you looking forward to most about the second half and anything that you're excited about as we head toward the trade deadline as well? Because I think the Braves are sitting pretty right now in first place in the NL East, but they know that they're not quite done with all their work just yet. I mean, I'm anxious to see how this team comes out in this series. I'm hoping that they take advantage of this game tonight because you have Keipel on the mound who has been phenomenal recently, and he's taking on a guy who hasn't been as good for the Padres. I think he has like a 5-4 ERA. Yeah. Um, so you really hope that the Braves can take advantage of that. But I want to see how they come out this series. And obviously I'm excited to just cover this team. That They're so much fun to watch. But I think kind of what I'm most, I don't know if I want to call it excited, but most anxious about is seeing what the Braves do, seeing the moves that they make. Uh, you know, there's a lot of rumors of, of potential deals and maybe package deals with a starter and, and then getting also a back end of the bullpen guy. So, And you think about that and you get excited about the potential of adding guys, but then you kind of you get anxious about who are we going to lose. Yeah. So I'm, I don't know if I want to call it excited because I'm, I'm just anxious for that, but that's probably what I'm, I'm most focused on right now is watching how that plays out because I think the trade deadline is what in, in a few weeks. It's coming up, so it's you know these things are going to start ramping up, so I'm anxious to see how that plays out. No doubt about it. A lot of anticipation heading toward the trade deadline and getting the second half of the season started. It won't be long until those wheeling, all that wheeling and dealing and all those deals are going down, and there'll be a lot for baseball fans to get excited about. Kelsey, appreciate your time as always. Look forward to seeing you out at the ballpark soon, and bring home a couple series wins for us before we get back to SunTrust Park. I hope so. Thank you, Grant. All right, let's turn our attention to some of the trade speculation around the Atlanta Braves. There's going to be plenty of that as we head over the next two and a half weeks toward that trade deadline on July 31st. Everyone's aware the Braves are one of the best teams in the National League, but the Braves and the rest of baseball are spending the next couple of weeks trying to figure out how to make themselves that much better. Shopping list for Alex Anthopoulos, I think, is pretty simple. Find a way to strengthen your bullpen and find a way to strengthen your starting rotation. I think those are the top two things the Braves are looking for even if you go back to the winter where there were items that the Braves were looking for, getting a power hitter to help solidify the order, they got Josh Donaldson. That certainly helped. Brian McCann has come in and helped in that regard. And, of course, a lot of guys have taken a big step forward or simply played up to their capabilities in the cases of others. With the offense clicking, the pitching staff is one that I think just needs that little bit of help in a couple of areas. Getting Dallas Keuchel, that's a huge addition to the Braves already, and they're able to do it well before the trade deadline, so they get a little bit more bang for their buck with that. But as you start to look around the rest of baseball, in the National League in particular, you've got about 10 teams and a scrum for the wild card within about four games of each other. Braves aren't having to worry about that right now as they are a division leader in the National League East, and they do have a six-game lead heading into play on Friday against San Diego. That being said, the competition for some of the top starters that are going to be out there, potentially, and the competition for some of the bullpen arms that are going to be out there, potentially. There's still a window right now where some clubs may not see themselves as sellers, which means that buyers are not going to have as big a market. Now, that kind of thing will usually work itself out within that 7 to 10 days after the All-Star break and the week lead up to the trade deadline. But keep in mind, we're going to see a totally different sense of urgency, I think, because we don't have the waiver trade deals. You can't wait until August and try to figure out how you're going to add somebody to your roster and have them available in October. You've got to have this guy in your organization by the trade deadline on July 31st, or he won't be eligible for the playoffs. 
I don't want to bury the lead here, but I've already talked about it quite a bit. Madison Bumgarner is a name that's going to continue to come up. He has no trade protection, and the Braves are one of the teams on his list. But that presumably is for a variety of reasons, really to give the leverage and the control of a trade to a possible contender to Madison Bumgarner. So the most likely teams that are going to be in position to go to October, those are the teams that Bumgarner can block a trade to. A lot of people speculate that that has to do with if he can get an extension with the team that he goes to, that's the only reason that he'd waive it. I don't necessarily think those two things go together, but we'll save that discussion for another time. When you trade for Madison Bumgarner, you get him for August, and you get him for September, and whatever he can give you in October. Some of the numbers this year, when you look at Madison Bumgarner, don't necessarily show him as being the guy that he was a few years ago. Is he pitching poorly? Not necessarily. But is he pitching at that top of the rotation level that he was a few years ago? And since the fluky injuries and the playing time that he's been missing over the past couple of years, I don't think you're getting that guy anymore. But he is somebody who has more experience than just about anybody when it comes to October, and not just experience, but success in October. So I think that is at a premium. What will the Giants be asking for a guy like Bumgarner? And if you start to expand that deal and look at Will Smith, the lefty closer for the Giants, he's another pending free agent. So you'd be getting a couple of months of him, and then he'd be walking into free agency as well. If you're the Braves and you feel like this is the kind of deal that can make you better, then I think it is worth exploring. But how much of your top prospect capital is it going to take? As I talked about on previous editions of the show, talked about it on Twitter as well, the MLB Trade Network idea that was thrown out there a couple of weeks ago of Ian Anderson, Christian Pache, and more for Bumgarner and Will Smith, that just doesn't look like the kind of price I'm going to pay for a combined four months of two pitchers. But you also have to balance out. You have a chance to win in October, and how many of those chances are you going to have? Well, you would like to secure as many as possible for your team, but that's not a given. You're not necessarily going to be going back to October each and every year. In Atlanta, we saw that happen for 14 consecutive seasons. That is the exception. That is not the rule. And as we've seen over the last few years, and really in this decade, if not this century, it's not a given that you're going to get to October. And once you get there, winning is a whole nother thing. And the Braves are going to be trying to do that for the first time in a long time when it comes to a playoff series. I like Madison Bumgarner. I like Will Smith. I like the idea of that deal. I don't like the idea of trading an Ian Anderson, Christian Pache, and more for rental players. The kind of players that I look for to have around for a couple of years at least, that's when I start to part with top prospects if I know that not only am I making an impact for this year, but I'm building something that keeps the window of contention open for more than just 2019 because the Braves, as you look at their core, are built to go beyond that. But the pay model for Atlanta as opposed to, say, Los Angeles and the Dodgers, or even the Angels for that matter, you don't necessarily have a $200 million payroll that you're going to be able to tap into. You're going to have to be creative somewhere probably between the 125, 130, maybe 150 mark. And this is something Alex Anthopoulos has talked about and did recently a Q&A in the AJC. He hasn't been told no for moves that he's wanted to make, but trying to find the right ones has been his mission over the past year and a half that he's been on the job with the Braves. Last year might have been the ahead of schedule season. In 2019, I think everybody knows what kind of talent's on hand. I think at this point at the All-Star break, you can look around at the rest of the National League and size up where you are. And where are the Braves? Well, they have the second-best record in the league, so I do think there's that impetus, that motivation to go out and make this year's club better. Another pitcher the Braves are believed to have their eye on is Matt Boyd, the left-hander for the Detroit Tigers. And, of course, when you talk about the Tigers, 
You also talk about Shane Green, who's been one of the top closers in baseball this year, just earned those all-star honors himself, and that would be a great package deal if the Braves could get a Boyd and a Green from the Tigers. Three years of control for Matt Boyd through arbitration beyond this year. Shane Green is under contract through 2020, so both of those guys, at least if I'm looking at the boxes I'm trying to check, they're not rentals. That would mean prospect price probably going to be a little bit higher, but now you start to weigh out the impact that Matt Boyd could make in 2019, and the 28-year-old's having a great season. 6-6 six and six record, I kind of throw that out the window. The Tigers are not a very good team. 387 ERA in the American League, pretty acceptable. 107 innings, only 20 walks, and 142 strikeouts. He's one of the best strikeout pitchers in the American League. And as I mentioned, low walks, high strikeouts, no one in baseball has a better strikeout-to-walk ratio than Boyd, and he's done a pretty decent job of covering innings. If you start to look at that ERA, I want to feel a little bit better about it. His fielding independent pitching, just over three and a half. So maybe a touch unlucky here or there, but a pretty acceptable differential between a 387 ERA and a 356 FIP. A lot of the advanced numbers really like the way Boyd's been pitching this year, and at 28, he should be entering or right into right now the prime of his career. He's been getting incrementally better each year since joining the Tigers rotation full-time in 2017, and he's pitching extremely well this year. There's an awful lot to like about the way Matthew Boyd has been pitching here in 2019. Meanwhile, Shane Green is putting together a career year as an all-star closer for the Tigers, but when you're a last-place team, you don't really need an all-star closer. Still, his resume is good, ERA just over one, fielding independent pitching a lot higher than that. Either way, he has nailed down 22 saves, 33 innings for him, just 10 walks, 34 punch outs. He's allowed just four home runs this year. So if you want to just have the good old-fashioned look at the numbers, Shane Green's put up some good ones this year. So you put together a package of Boyd and Shane Green, I do think you're going to end up parting with one of your top prospects there, whether that's an Ian Anderson, a Christian Pache, a Drew Waters, and possibly more. That, I think, is going to be the price because the derby for these guys in particular, I think, is going to be one of the most intriguing in all of baseball based on the fact that I think they'll have at least half a dozen, if not more teams, all looking for rotation help and all vying to get the deal done. So you're going to have to differentiate yourself. You're going to have to push yourself ahead of the pack. And the Braves can do that because they have the talent to do it. But you have to weigh the present versus the future. And when you start thinking about the future now, when it comes to an Ian Anderson, a Christian Pache, a Drew Waters, a Kyle Muller, whoever it may be, we're not talking about guys who were just drafted last year anymore. We're talking about guys who are approaching the cusp of joining the major league squad. So I think you have to ask yourself, if you're any GM, what pieces are you trading away and what kind of impact could they make? And what kind of impact are the pieces you're going to get back going to be able to have on 2019 and perhaps beyond in the case of both Boyd and Green? But we'll see what that derby looks like. I do expect it to be hotly contested amongst a number of teams. And I imagine that the Madison Bumgarner and Will Smith saga should be a pretty interesting one as well. And those are just a few of the names that are out there. Another one I want to throw out as somebody that I would keep an eye on in terms of a team that would be very motivated to move this guy, and that would be the Kansas City Royals and their closer, Ian Kennedy. You may not realize this, but Kennedy is now a 13-year big league veteran. The 34-year-old transitioned to the bullpen this year after a couple of rough seasons in the rotation for Kansas City. And I do think that there's value there in that arm. He may not be that central figure, that central piece that you're looking for to become the closer for your team heading into the playoffs, 
but I think Ian Kennedy would be a really fascinating arm to add to the late-inning mix for any team looking to make itself a little bit better and also looking for somebody else to pick up the tab on it because Kansas City still owes Ian Kennedy another $16.5 million next year. So they may take more of the money depending on what kind of young players they can get in return and just look to move on from him because they're smack in the middle of a rebuild at this point and they're going to need to be stockpiling young talent. And once again, a veteran closer, not really something that a young team necessarily needs when you're sitting toward the bottom of the standings, not just in the American League Central, but in all of baseball. So Ian Kennedy is an interesting name. Haven't been a lot of rumors attached to him just yet, but I would imagine he'll be one of the many relievers that will be on the move in the next two and a half weeks to a contending club, just looking to make itself a little bit better, even if he does not become the closer on the new team that he joins. So those are a few names to throw out there as far as the trade rumors and speculation and things are concerned. A few of those are just guys that I look at and say, hey, this makes sense and would make your club better, but it may not be the only move that you make, just one of a series of moves to strengthen things up and have the best 25-man roster you can. As we've been learning this year, depth is a great thing. You've got it on the offensive side, still looking for it on the pitching side, and that's where I expect Alex Antopoulos to be focusing when it comes to the trade deadline. A couple of more Braves news and notes before we get out of here. How about a rehab update for a couple of players? Kevin Gosman's on his way back from that plantar fasciitis he's been dealing with in his right foot. He had a start for Mississippi on Thursday, six innings of one-run ball and three punch-outs for Gosman. I would imagine maybe one or two more tune-ups, and then the Braves are going to have to figure out where he might factor into their plans. And because we are in that trade deadline time of year, I think Gosman could be one of the guys, based on his salary, that could be moved around the board to make the money work in a trade, depending on who's coming and who's going. Speaking of which, Ender Inciarte's rehab continues, and he's going to be an interesting decision that the Braves are going to have to make in about 10 days or so. Ender was hitless in his first game with Gwinnett on Thursday. He's 3-for-23 on his rehab through eight games with a couple of walks. The Braves have about a week and a half that Ender can continue to play in rehab games. Then they're going to have to make a decision regarding his activation from the I.L., As we know, that date is corresponding pretty closely with the trade deadline, and there's a ton of speculation about what could Ender Inciarte fetch from a team looking for an outfielder and the Braves looking for pitching. That, I think, is a natural question. I also will say, on the flip side of that coin, or playing devil's advocate, that having a three-time gold glover be a member of your team, even if he's not in that starting role and is being used as a late-inning defensive replacement, a guy that can run the bases for you, and maybe if there's an injury that happens, somebody that could play a big role for you in the second half. He's a guy that's good to have, but the Braves bench is pretty versatile. But there is no backup center fielder to Ronald Acuna right now. Charlie Culberson would probably be pushed into that role, but I don't think that that's the direction that the Braves really want to take it. So Ronald Acuna Jr. is going to get an awful lot of starts out in center field as long as Ender Inciarte is on a rehab assignment or sitting on the injured list. So that is something the Braves will have to think about as they continue to construct their roster. The best lineup clearly has Acuna in it every single day, but if you need to give him a day off or two, or if he rolls an ankle or tweaks a hamstring and doesn't need to go on the injured list, but he does need to sit for two or three days, the Braves would have to make a roster move, and what that move would be, it would be interesting to see. At this point, there's just not a clear backup, and if you trade Ender Inciarte, then that obviously opens up a whole different line of questioning. Now, championship clubs are not built on their backup center fielder, It's just one of those situations where you want to have contingencies in place should something happen that changes your plans. And each and every year, injury changes the plans for so many teams and so many players across baseball. 
But that's what's going on with the rehab assignments. Kevin Gosman pitched for Mississippi on Thursday. Ender Inciarte has had his rehab moved up to Gwinnett, where he will continue to play until which time the Braves deem him ready to come off the injured list. One other injury note you might want to be aware of, Braves able to activate Anthony Swarzak as expected from the injured list, but lose left-handed reliever Grant Dayton to the IL after he broke his big toe over the All-Star breaks. That could cost Dayton about a month, which further thins out the Braves' bullpen depth and underscores the need to go out and look for relief help with the trade deadline just over two weeks away. And with that said, let's take a look at what's happening to begin the second half for the Braves. They will start with three games in San Diego beginning on Friday night. Dallas Keuchel will get the start there. Julio Tehran starts on Saturday, and Mike Soroka, the All-Star, is slated to throw on Sunday. Then it's a three-game series against the Milwaukee Brewers. On Monday, it'll be Max Fried. Tuesday, Bryce Wilson will come back up from AAA Gwinnett. He will make that start. And then it would be Dallas Keuchel's turn on Wednesday to close out that series against the Brewers. Then the Braves come home on Thursday and have that four-game series with the Washington Nationals, a team that has had their number at times this year. So they'll be looking to get things right and get back in the win column, take a series from Washington because that's a club that has climbed into second place. But losing a series to the Braves right there before the trade deadline, it could make for some interesting decisions for Washington, a team still very much alive in the wild-card race, I'll add. But as far as winning the East is concerned, that's a pivotal matchup in late July between the Braves and the Nationals and it happens after this six-game road trip. So that'll do it for this episode of From the Diamond. As always, I invite you to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can find every episode at fromthediamond.com as well. Make sure you're following along on social media. You can find the show at fromthediamond underscore. I am at Grant McCauley, G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. And you can find the show on Instagram now as well, at fromthediamond there, no underscore. And you can find me on Instagram as well, at Grant McCauley is where you can connect with me on Instagram. So appreciate you guys tuning in as always. Braves getting ready to start off the second half, and we'll have plenty to talk about on the next episode of From the Diamond. Until then, I'm Grant McCauley. So long, everyone. <laughs>